KOWS 107.3 FM, Occidental, California. On the telephone from Portland, Oregon, Nora Gedgaudis. Hello, Nora. Hey, Ken. How are you? I'm, I'm good enough. Good enough. <laughs> good enough for government work, as they say. <laughs> Sufficient unto the day. Yes, and yes, And you? Yes. How are you doing? Pretty good. Good. Um, good. I can't complain, but I like to anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I'm very uh, happy to be here uh, yeah. with you today. It's always yeah. great talking to you. Us too. I've gotten really good feedback from the the, the two times you've been on before. Uh, the information is just so uh, central. You know, it's it's so basic and uh, fairly unheard. Uh, so uh, there, therefore, it's it's just that much more valuable, and we appreciate you talking to us. Oh, I, I love having the opportunity uh, to talk about all this. It's an, it's incredibly important stuff, especially especially uh, in this particular time period that we're in. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's all very timely. Right. Um, and uh, I I I wanted to uh, mention in case. Um, your listeners didn't already know um, uh, that, or in case you didn't know, uh, that, you know, my book is actually getting re-released uh, this summer. I, heard. I don't know if you'd, if you'd heard that. I heard about it. Yes. So I, it was picked up by, by, uh, by a wonderful publisher, uh, a large, uh, fairly large publisher, not, yeah. a, not a huge, we're not talking... Um, you know, Random House or whatever, but uh, Inner Traditions, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and they uh, are really, really doing an incredible job with it. Uh, I've been, of course, working with them very closely for the last few months, and what I've done is I've gone in and I've and I've updated quite a few things, and um, I've added a couple of new. I quote unquote chapters, you know, some new information, um, revamped some stuff. Uh, of course, I've had a couple of years to take in a lot of comments from people and and uh, take uh, keep some of those things in mind to better clarify certain things. It's going to have uh, much uh, better, uh, you know, referencing, uh, way better editing, <laughs> uh, and a couple of new illustrations here and there, and all in a really gorgeous format. And it's it's um, well deserved. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And. I've also I still have a foreword and that's actually also been revamped by Dr. Mark Steinberg but I also have another uh, brand new foreword that was written by uh, Brent Pottinger mm-hmm. which of course the name may be familiar to yeah. you as yeah. he is a descendant of Dr. Francis Pottinger right. and I uh, ha- there'll be a new photo of me and some you know nice notable endorsements that have come along mm-hmm. so anyway it's all available right now for pre-sale on Amazon and I just kind of want to throw that plug out there uh, before Absolutely. we carry on here. Absolutely. Just to let you know. When is it going to be released generally? Right now they're looking at uh, sometime in June. Yeah, that's right. That's, and I don't uh, think it's going to be much beyond that because I've already it. got uh, a book signing uh, scheduled for uh, here in Portland on the 28th mm-hmm. and uh, another one on the 30th in Seattle. So. Uh, the ball, as they say, is a rolling. Great. We have to get you down here to Sonoma County, California. I I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, mean, just uh, they they've uh, the publisher has has uh, hired a a publicist, uh, you know, for the promotion of this book. So that you know, we'll be looking for uh, available venues everywhere. And uh, well, I can help you down here. I know the area pretty well. 
awesome. Anyway, we could talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll All talk. Right. We'll talk. Nora yeah. <laughs> we'll Gedgaudis joins us, pri- the author of Primal Body, Primal Mind. And we've, we've had her on uh, twice before. If you want to hear the previous sessions, uh, pantedmonkey.org, December 7th, 09, and February 7th of this year. And we're happy to have her back again. Okay. Um, where we left off the last time, if that's, uh, have you given any thought to what we want to talk about today? Well, actually, I, yeah, I kind of have. And, and one of the things, in fact, I'm going to be posting a rather lengthy blog post later today, but I, I kind of want to chime in about the whole radiation thing, if that's okay. Please. Yeah, because this is, this is a very big deal in a lot of people's minds, and I have been getting swamped with emails and calls and things like that from people wondering, oh, you know, what should I do? You know, can I get iodine from you? Uh, how much should I be taking? And all this kind of thing. And, and I have some real concerns about the way this whole thing is getting uh, presented in, in the media and getting, appro- uh, getting approached by a lot of people. And there are a million and one, of course, blog posts out there, but I dare say I'm going to have some different things to say than a lot of other people. And, um, and it's not that I don't take this as as a serious issue um you know the uh, you know the uh, physicist uh, the the famous physicist you know michio kaku uh said uh just a few days ago on you know this of course well april 4th so almost 10 days ago now that you know the situation as he said at fukushima is is relatively stable now in the same way that you're stable if you hang by your fingernails off a cliff and your fingernails begin to break one by one uh-huh. <laughs> um and of course, living here in in Portland, um, I can practically see Japan from my house. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, you know. And, and the and the imagination is so powerful. It is. I mean, we get these images of mushroom clouds, and you know, we think about you know Hiroshima and Nagasaki and and what happened then, and the horrible, slow, um, you know, deaths that 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 people suffer. And, you know, we need to keep at least a little bit of perspective here that we're, you know, we're in excess of 4,000 miles away here in the States, at the very least, from, uh, from what's happening there. But then again, it's not that we shouldn't be taking um, some of this stuff seriously. And uh, there was a recent uh, Forbes uh, blog that was entitled Radiation Detected in Drinking Water in 13 more U.S. cities, cesium-137. And uh, it contained the text, milk samples from the Phoenix and Los Angeles area contained iodine-131 at levels roughly equal to the maximum contaminant level uh, permitted by the EPA. And, of course, that blog post has mysteriously disappeared, but you can go back to the blog uh, and attempt to see if they've maybe reposted it. I know that, uh, of course, all you have to do is go to Alex Jones to find this stuff. I don't want to come across as conspiracy theorist, but he does sometimes manage to preserve some things like that that uh, otherwise might be lost. So I guess there is some uh, story about that at prisonplanet.com, which I haven't been there to see this, but, uh, uh, but my understanding is that he has it there. So at any rate, why don't you you just... know, it's a mess. You know, it's it's a bloody mm-hmm. mess, mm-hmm. and it's it's not going to be going away, folks. It's mm-hmm. just not going to be going away. Um, Would you like some cesium with your fries? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, the big question, of course, that I've been getting 
has has been about everybody's onto the iodine thing, and I get more emails from more people, you know, retailing iodine and blog posts from all kinds of bloggers talking about, you know, uh, you know where you can get potassium iodide and and uh, you know I'm 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 concerned that people are going to start guzzling potassium iodide as though it was some sort of magical potion that's going to save people from the horrors of radiation-induced illness, and that's just not the case. I'm sure a lot of people are guzzling it already. I'm sure that they are, and and there are some very real concerns to be had about this, because... You know, for one thing, we're, people are giving themselves perhaps the illusion that they're doing something that is going to somehow shield them um, from all the effects of radiation, and that's just, not, that's just not the case. But also that, you know, that this is somehow um, an okay thing to be doing is questionable. And, you know, for starters, you have to keep in mind that Radioactive iodine-131, it's, it's mainly a danger to people who have an iodine-deficient thyroid to begin with, which admittedly a lot of people do. But, you know, it's only one threat among many, many that people are going to be facing with radiation particulate exposure. Uh, we've also got radioactive cesium-134, which has a half-life of, of two years, and, and cesium-137, a half-life of 30 years. Uh, there's the strontium-90. Uh, radioactive strontium-90, which has a half-life of either 28 or 29 years, depending on on, uh, what source you read about that. And then, of course, with this particular disaster, we've got that lovely little added zest with plutonium, which has got a half-life of like 27,000 years. So... And then on top of that, we have whatever oxidative free radical activity and, and all the, you know, mutagenic properties of iodine or ionizing radiation um, that can enter our, our food, you know, the stuff is entering our food chain and our lungs and water supplies. So iodine is not going to be any kind of panacea for this. Uh, and I'm not saying that to frighten people. I really do not want to get into a fear-mongering mode with this. I don't think that that serves anybody. Um, All we want people. is reality. You know, if it's fearsome, it's fearsome. If it's not, it's not. Right. Just give us well, good information. Well, and we need to face it. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just need we need to face it either either way, whether it's um, something to be afraid of or something not to be afraid of. We just sort of need to stay ra- rational and sober about this. Um, now, um, you know, the mainstream media, of course, is has got its own take on things, which, you know, of course, we are, I'm sure most of your listeners are savvy enough to understand that mainstream media, um, present company accepted, of course, because we're not exactly mainstream, are we? Not exactly. Yeah. Um, but the mainstream media is, you know, beholding to a lot of corporate interests and also has the government's interest in mind. They don't want people to panic. And so, you know, they're going to, on the one hand, they're very eager to talk about all this because people are freaked out about it, which keeps them glued to their TV sets and their radios. But on the other hand, uh, they want to control the public, you know, reaction and they don't want to cause any kind of economic upheaval where people would be afraid to go out and spend money on certain things and whatever else. And so um, I don't think we're going to get much that's very accurate um, from the mainstream media. Or if, it's, or if it's accurate, it will be difficult to gauge that. Um, you know, people, because there's so th- many things coloring, I think, 
what comes across the airwaves. I don't know if people realize very much that we don't need the mainstream media for, well, to, true. to be informed, to be well informed, or to be uh, reliably informed. Uh, right. Uh, right. I, I'll, you know, I'll occasionally watch the, the local news and that sort of a thing in the morning just to see what's happening in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But, but most, of, most of what's on there is, you know, it, we're not finding out what there is to know about the world. That's right. We're finding out what somebody wants us to know That's right. about the world, That's right. and and in the way that they want us to know it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of people have you know are smart enough to understand that, at least to some extent. Yeah. Uh, I don't really rely on mainstream media for any of my major. Uh, you know, any anything really important. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Um, but but all that. But all that said, yeah. um, basically, I see four potential problems. Everybody with with haphazard iodine supplementation. Okay. Now there is, you know, number one on that list is going to be the potential for iodine sensitivity or allergic reactions in some sensitive people. Now most people with that sensitivity to iodine, they're going to probably know it in advance, but not everybody will. And there can be there are going to be people probably showing up in emergency rooms with you know with having reactions, um, and it's it's something to be a little bit concerned about. The other um, one of the big ones in my mind is the potential with iodine to either trigger or significantly exacerbate autoimmune thyroid issues. Now. <laughs> You know, and, and this is a this is a really big deal because iodine is being really popularized right now. I wrote about it in my book, and I, I stand by the fact that you know iodine is needed by every tissue and gland in the body. It's very important. Of course, we also need elemental iodine, not just iodide. Um, potassium iodide is not a complete source of iodine, but it is. You know, it has been used traditionally to um, to thwart the effects of radioactive iodine on the thyroid. However. You know, the body uses iodine to manufacture an enzyme called thyroid peroxidase. It's also known as TPO. That's just how they uh, abbreviate that. And the very thing, autoimmune thyroid, in other words, people with Hashimoto's, uh, the very thing that individuals are producing when they have an autoimmune thyroid are TPO antibodies. And this, this basically triggers huge cytokine, in other words, inflammatory storms, and can greatly accelerate the destruction of the thyroid. Now, you know, right now, you know, depressed thyroid function is an incredibly common problem. And 80% of everybody walking around with a depressed thyroid is in all likelihood autoimmune. So... And, and very few people who go to their doctors uh, who are told, oh, you know, you've got a depressed thyroid, very few of these people are ever diagnosed with the autoimmune part of that. You know, I'll ask people, to, you know, to say, yeah, my doctor put me on, th- on um, you know, thyroxin or whatever. Um, and, and I'll say, well, do you know if you're autoimmune or not? And they look at me like I have three heads, like they, you know, like, what do you mean by that? And it's rarely tested for, mm-hmm. in part because physicians really don't have any way of specifically addressing autoimmune thyroid. 
a lot of autoimmune diseases are treated with prednisone and things like that, which doesn't really apply to Hashimoto's. And so because they really haven't got anything to offer you for that anyway, it's of no consequence to them. Therefore, they treat Mm -hmm. Hashimoto's the exact same way they treat any other low thyroid condition, and they don't oftentimes bother to look at what particular type of thyroid dysregulation you have. Well, if you're, if you're autoimmune with your thyroid, your primary problem isn't your thyroid, it's your immune system, mm-hmm. and it needs to be addressed on that level. But, of course, this is a very functional way of looking at things and a very holistic way of looking at things, um, and, uh, and I think it's immunologically very valid to look at it that way. But mainstream medicine just doesn't treat it that way. Um, the concern here is that if you already have a thyroid condition uh, of any kind, um, if you don't know whether or not you are autoimmune with your thyroid, you need to go out today or yesterday and test yourself and figure out whether you are autoimmune or not. Uh, the, the test for that is TPO antibodies, and you can also couple that uh, with another uh, antibody which, uh, test, which is antithyroglobulin antibodies. Oftentimes, they get paired together, and it's just basically called an, a thyroid antibody panel. Uh, but I highly recommend you look into that, um, because if you happen to be autoimmune with your thyroid, iodine will greatly accelerate uh, the destruction of your thyroid. And uh, there is some debate about this. Uh, I won't name the practitioner who is debating this. Um, But if you look at the literature, the literature is overwhelming. uh, That, you know, if somebody wanted to take somebody to court for putting them on iodine, and, and then suddenly they, they developed, uh, they, it, it triggered an autoimmune condition, which it can do in susceptible people, or it exacerbated an existing condition. I mean, you could go to court and win just by the weight of the literature alone. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage people to not be, again, it's not fear-mongering. I just want people to be cautious. Keep your head about you. Don't panic. Um, we're not close enough, you know, the nuclear reactor isn't, isn't in our backyards, and that, that isn't to say that there isn't some concern associated with this. There definitely is. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody should go running out and start taking iodine. By the way, in case anybody's wondering, I, I, could, I could be making a killing selling potassium iodide in my own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I have access to all kinds of iodine supplements that I could be uh, marketing and selling or that I could be taking myself. I am not doing that. Right. Um, I'm not recommending it to my clients, and I'm not advertising iodine sales right now, and I'm, I'm not taking it myself. Now, and by the way, I can tolerate iodine fine, iodine supplementation. Now, if you're concerned and you want to, you know, uh, about uh, you want more dietary iodine or whatever, that's fine. Uh, eat, you know, seafood that comes from where you know wh- where it's coming from. Obviously, you don't want to necessarily be eating seafood off the coast of Japan right now uh, and seaweeds and things like that. But, um, but things like, um, 
you know, seafood and sea vegetables and, and seaweeds and things like that are naturally very rich sources uh, of iodine. And um, eggs can be a rich source of iodine if, you know, the, there was a healthy iodine in the feed. Um, so uh, that's just sort of something to consider. The other thing that's a concern is that when you're taking large amounts of iodine, you can be, people can experience all kinds of detox reactions. Iodine is a member of the halogen family. And on the periodic table of elements, if you guys remember high school chemistry, there is this little list of elements called the halogen family or the halides. And in this same family are things like chloride or chlorine, uh, fluoride or fluorine, and bromide or bromine in addition to iodine. Um, and, um, and when, when you don't have um, sufficient iodine in your diet, your body will, is more likely to absorb one of these other halogens as sort of a makeshift replacement. It doesn't function the same way. In fact, the one that's most similar in, uh, is bromide, and, and tons of people are walking around with bromidism. And bromides uh, are also the most common halogen toxicity. Um, most of us have, you know, excess bromide in our system. It's just uh, it's it's being used industrially in everything from, you know, uh, flame retardant and carpeting and clothing to electronics, and it's used in hot tub spas. Uh, in place of chlorine sometimes. It's used as an anti-caking agent in baked goods and processed flour, and it's even an additive in some pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's, it's bloody everywhere. But uh, what happens when you start taking high doses of iodine is you start displacing these allergens, and that displacement can result in some uncomfortable, shall we say, detox-related symptoms. So, you know, you can be getting... Um, you know, like flu-like symptoms, um, all kinds of, you know, maybe skin eruptions or fever and chills, uh, diarrhea, nausea. Some people actually have emotional crises. They just sort of go into kind of a meltdown. Um, I've seen that with people going through detox. Um, sleep can be really disrupted. Uh, your appetite can be disrupted. You can experience a lot of fatigue and brain fog. You know, it's not a lot of fun. And uh, it's hard on your system to, to go through that. And it's not necessarily a desirable thing. Um, the last concern, of course, with people guzzling iodine is something called iodism, which basically the medical dictionary defines as an acute or chronic intoxication caused by the ingestion or absorption of iodides. And the manifestations... And I'm reading the, the uh, uh, definition here. Manifestations of acute poisoning include abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, hypersalivation, conjunctivitis, and collapse. Good times. Chronic manifestations can include hypersalivation, fever, acute rhinitis, which is a runny nose, swelling and tenderness of the salivary glands, and dermatitis and stomatitis in hypersensitive individuals. Um, iodine is a toxic condition that some or iodism, rather, is a toxic condition that sometimes follows the use of preparations containing iodine. So, obviously, there are things to be concerned about here. And um, 
you know, it, it, it's something just to kind of sort of keep in mind. Now, you know, trying to figure out whether or not you might be deficient in iodine, well, um, you know, if you live in the goiter belt of the U.S., which is most of the northern uh, <laughs> U.S. from the Midwest on, um, California and, and, and Texas would be included in that, um, where iodine is just sort of known to be deficient in the soils. The goiter uh, belt. Yeah, the goiter belt, right. Um, other things that can kind of predispose you to not being uh, either not absorbing iodine or losing iodine are things like tobacco use and excess alcohol use. And a lot of people are self-medicating right now with, uh, with happy hour with, to try to... With whatever, we can, with whatever we can get our hands on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also the overconsumption of goitrogens, what they, what they call goitrogens, which are thyroid sort of suppressing substances. Can and, you say uh, that three times? Goitrogen, goitrogen, goitrogen. Wow, yeah. you're good. Yeah, I, you know, I like words. Um, but things like soy, anything soy-related, uh, believe it or not, flaxseed tends to contain goitrogens. Uh, raw cruciferous vegetables, I, I don't want to strike up an alarm too much about that. Um, if you lightly steam them, that, that helps a lot. And also... Um, uh, you know, if you're eating a few, it's not a big deal. If you're a raw food vegan and you're making your steady diet on raw cruciferous vegetables, that might be another matter. Uh, you know, peanuts and other legumes, if you're into the peanut butter thing or you're into eating a lot of beans, then you need to know that there are you know, significant uh, quantity of goitrogens in those foods uh, that may interfere with your ability to absorb iodine. Um, oral contraceptives are another concern. Um, and uh, with respect to pregnancy, it's it's a weird thing, and this is another concern, actually, that should get tossed onto the list because infants um, and young children are really the most vulnerable uh, to the effects of iodine uh, deficiency and radiation exposure, but with the developing fetus and newborns, they're also the most extremely vulnerable. At the same time, these are also the most vulnerable to the potentially ill effects of excess potassium iodide. So pregnant women should not just run out and start guzzling potassium iodide. They should really go talk to a knowledgeable, uh, qualified healthcare provider to talk about you know, their concerns about this and whether or not that they should be taking uh, any kind of iodine at this time. If, if you're pregnant, I would just simply be very, very cautious. Um, thiocyanates, which are found in herbicides and insecticides, uh, perchlorates, which, crazy enough, here it is, the substance found in rocket fuel, it's, it's, it's everywhere these days. It's contaminating uh, most of our water supplies and things like that, but it's especially target, a problem in areas that don't have very much rainfall. So like the Pacific, or not the Pacific Northwest, the uh, desert Southwest um, would be an area where there might be higher levels of perchlorate. So you want to make sure that you're getting your water from, you know, purified sources. Um, uh, selenium deficiency is another concern. And, you know, ta-da, radiation exposure, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. So for people who really do feel like they need the iodine and they don't have any autoimmune issues or anything like that. It's much smarter to take your time and starting with a very small dose and gradually 
building up. And again, I would do this under the supervision of a knowledgeable, probably, you know, natural healthcare provider who can help you improve your iodine levels um, because building up slowly is really the smart way to do it if you're not living next to the nuclear reactor. And, um, you know, this isn't a, you know, a massive concern. It is much smarter to go about this more gradually and build the iodine levels up so that your, your thyroid is, you know, naturally protected. And so that you're not having to take these suddenly, you know, mega doses of potassium iodide, which, by the way, you know, you'd need to be doing, you know, potentially um, long term anyway, if you know, if the threat persists. So, uh, and they really don't recommend taking potassium iodide usually for more than, uh, especially large doses of it for more than maybe a week or so. Um, so, you know, just be smart about it, Nora. Yes. How is anyone to know who, who who's knowledgeable and who's not? Well, that's that's a good point. Chances are your average um, natural healthcare provider is going to be a little bit better informed than most. Um, and uh, and of course, we want providers who are a lot better informed than most. Right. Correct. That's true. You know, I think that. Um, now, uh, you know, Janet Lang's group, restorativeendocrinology.com, uh, not that she's paying me to give her a plug or anything like that, oh. but I, I know Janet's pretty well informed on these issues, and I am quite certain that she's trained her staff extremely well um, with respect to uh, many of these issues. And so that may be a good resource mm-hmm. for some people. Good. Um, there are... You know, it's a great question because I don't have a centralized location where a person can go. I guess my best suggestion is to, you know, get referrals from people you know Mm -hmm. to qualified and uh, experienced natural health care providers and, you know, feel it out yourself. Talk with them and see how you feel about what it is that they're telling you about about iodine and, and whether or not you need it and, and uh, how to go about things. Uh, I'd be, you know, I'd be a little concerned about somebody who just wanted to start handing you 50 milligram tablets of iodorol and, 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 and say, well, you know, have at it and just start taking mega doses. I don't personally believe that's the smartest way to go about it. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just offering my opinion. But I, I get concerned about, again, people overdoing it and and behaving in a knee-jerk reaction and not really considering what their individual needs might be. What about underdoing it? I, I haven't given this issue 10 seconds worth of uh, time and attention. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's... Uh, well... There's so many factors out there that are poised to uh, take us out that... Uh, that's true. They, know, they're, I, yeah. I mean, we're all pretty saturated nowadays with with... So many different things happening uh, on so many different levels uh, in the news, in our backyards, with the economy, with, you know. Um, and honestly, the stress of worrying about it all is likely to kill you faster <laughs> than any one of those things. Yeah, I believe that. You know, I think stress is really the big killer. <laughs> um, the, 
you know, with respect to the iodine thing, if you just kind of want to go about this with ultra caution, then, you know, be sure that you're getting some iodine in your diet. Just, mm-hmm. you know, dietary sources yeah. of iodine from from places that, you know, I think it's, it's certainly never been more important in this day and age to know right where your food is coming from. I think people need to be informed and, and get things locally as much as possible. And with respect to seafood, you know, um, be cautious about where your seafood might be coming from. Um, and so, you know, that would be um, that would be really the the cautious approach to this. Uh, do you have a position on the the farmed uh, seafood? Uh... Oh yeah, there's no question that wild is vastly superior to farmed. Mm-hmm. I I will not eat farmed seafood. I don't I don't trust right. it. Right. Yeah. Regardless of what the uh, the big the big the big the big store says. Well, right. The big stores are going to say whatever they say, and it's not necessarily that they're being dishonest. But you know, you're only as well informed asking them as the person behind the counter <laughs> is, and uh, and that you know, who knows what yeah. they what they sure. really know about it. So, um, so the bottom line for me is that I think that our primary concern here in the states at this point with the information that we have really needs to basically, and actually I think it should be this anyway, but the primary concern has to be just taking the best possible care of our overall health, that we need to be thinking about our health foundationally, not in terms of supplements. Now, not that some supplements can't be useful, but I don't think that our first thought should be what kind of pill should I be popping right now? The primary concern really ought to be, you know, the, and of course I make this point in my book, you know, we're living in a time that we really don't have any room for error anymore. We just don't have the luxury of our own indulgences um, that we can't be looking at food as this sort of nutrient-avoid source of entertainment. We need to be taking our health seriously if not be taking a radical approach to our health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really don't want to sound like an extremist, but we're up against so much that honestly, um, yeah, and there's so much that we, we don't have any control over at all. We just need to think in terms of taking control of what we can. Mm-hmm. And there's a tremendous amount that we have control over. And so managing stress, of course, is going to be a big deal. Yeah. You know, drink plenty of purified water. Um, do, you know, do some detox stuff. You know, if you have an infrared sauna or uh, you want to undergo some kind of detox program or something like mm-hmm. that to unburden your immune system and your cells from excess junk so that it can more efficiently process the toxic stuff that comes along. Great. Um, You know, apparently, you know, cells in the bone marrow and GI tract are particularly susceptible to radiation exposure. So, you know, take really great care of your blood health and your digestion. Um, But again, it's the, the, the foundations that you need to be the most focused on. And, you know, I'm 
not one to sit around blowing my own horn, but I think that a lot of the principles that I outline in my book are really some of the best possible guidelines mm-hmm. for supporting what amount to a cancer-free life. Mm-hmm. I'm not making claims about, mm-hmm. you know, read my book and you'll never get cancer. However, a lot of the suggestions are very, very sound in light of how cancer processes initiate and progress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly there are really kind of four things that I come up with that are primary things to consider when any risk of cancer is concerned. And really that's the big deal with radiation exposure, right? These, these radioactive isotopes getting into our system and triggering cancerous processes. Mm-hmm. Well, the number one most necessary substance in order for cancer to take a foothold in anyone is sugar in any form or guise. Cancer cannot live without sugar. It's, sugar is cancer's primary, mm-hmm. and it's nearly sole source of fuel. Mm-hmm. So the more carb-free you are, um, the more you avoid, and not just table sugar, but sugar and starch in, you know, in, in all its forms and guises, mm-hmm. then the less you give cancer a chance to advance itself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the next key to this, somewhat closely related, but it is low insulin levels. You want to maintain low insulin levels mm-hmm. because insulin, when it upregulates, and usually, of course, in the, um, in the presence of carbohydrates in the diet, but also, you can trigger insulin reactions when you're eating foods to which you're sensitive. For instance, food sensitivity reactions can also trigger insulin um, to some degree. Uh, stress can too. So again, stress management is huge. But insulin, when it's upregulated, stimulates what they refer to as cellular proliferation. In other words, you know, cells start dividing willy-nilly when insulin is up, upregulated. And if you happen to have DNA damage or some kind of, you know, mutation happening, then obviously cellular proliferation is not a desirable thing. And maintaining, you know, we know that the longest-lived individuals have and maintain low insulin levels. And this is one of the reasons why, because cancer is one of those things that if you live long enough, is, you know, is, is, is um, commonly the thing that gets you. But if you maintain low insulin levels, it, again, it has less of a chance, um, much less of a chance. I also, in my book, I talked about that whole metabolic pathway, that relatively newly discovered metabolic pathway called mTOR, which stands for mammalian target of rapamycin. And basically, mTOR is our protein sensor in in some respects in, in, in our bodies. And if you are able to eat but not exceed your protein requirement uh, per day. And uh, in, in, the, in the new version of my book, uh, I get a little more specific about that and, uh, and, and allow people to calculate for themselves what is likely to be most optimal for them. I kind of give a range in my book, but I'm, you know, I'll, give it, I'll give you a formula. It's 0.8 grams of protein, of actual protein, uh, per kilogram of ideal body weight per day. And don't take more than about 25 grams of actual protein in a meal. Anything more than about 25 grams, the research seems to indicate, tends to trigger the upregulation of the mTOR pathway, which has the same effect as the upregulation of insulin. In other words, it stimulates cellular proliferation. And uh, this pathway was originally discovered 
while trying to uh, research cancer drugs. And so they know that this is one of the mechanisms through which cancers can be initiated and grow. And by keeping mTOR down to, um, you know, by by keeping that pathway down regulated, the extra um, the extra benny that you get off of that, the, 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 one of the real benefits that you can get from also keeping mTOR suppressed, is that when mTOR is downregulated, this has the actual effect of enhancing DNA repair. It's kind of like saying, and again, all of this stuff is tied into, it's a reproductive pathway, basically. Your genes are, you know, your, your body's constantly trying to figure out, is this a good time to reproduce or not? If nutrients are overly abundant, you have nutrients in excess of what you need for your own maintenance and repair, then your body sees that as, as a time that's great time for making new cells and creating new life. However, if we just keep it to what we actually need ourselves, then this sends a message to our bodies that, whoop, you know, it's a little too expensive to build a new house right now. Let's fix up the one we've got. Mm-hmm. And that's the magic um, in uh, behind the whole sort of phenomena of caloric restriction and why that works so well to extend the lifespans of pretty much everything that's ever been studied. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to have uh, complete protein. We have to have it. Um, but by over-consuming it, we're provoking certain processes that may particularly at this time not be to our benefit, that, that could be adding risks that we might not want. And by the way, at the same time, you know, if, you, if you're meeting your nutritional needs, you know, why exceed them? Um, other than we like to indulge, and, and we have that psychology still of, of, of all wild things, of feast or famine, and so if it's in front of us, we want to feast. But if you take a more measured approach to this and just practice some modified caloric restriction, I'm not saying starve yourself. In fact, you shouldn't be hungry at all. But, uh, you know, take it a little easy, and, and, and instead of, you know, an eight-ounce piece of steak, make it maybe a, you know, you know, a three or four ounce piece of steak, you're saving yourself, for one thing, significant money, which is everybody's concern right now. And you're also meeting your requirements without actually challenging um, things that maybe you don't want to challenge right now. And the other thing to keep in mind, of course, is that protein consumption in excess of what we actually need for maintenance and repair, a significant percentage of that gets converted to sugar and stored and, mm. and utilized the exact same way. Mm. So, you know, one more reason. So uh, the other thing is, you know, meeting your appetite needs by adding the extra fat to your to your meals. And I'm not saying to eat a stick of butter with every serving of whatever, but just by adding a little extra, you know, olive oil or some sliced avocado or, you know, munching on some uh, olives on your plate or adding um, extra ghee or um, butter or, you know, tallow or whatever to your cooking mm-hmm. so that you're satiated. Mm-hmm. Um you're sending the message that fat is abundant, it's available. Your body is able then to use that as its primary source of energy, and your body will 
turn eventually to using fat as its primary source of fuel in the form of free fatty acids and ketones. But guess what, folks? A ketogenic diet is literally a cancer-starving diet. Mm -hmm. Cancer cells mm -hmm. cannot make use of mm -hmm. ketones for fuel. Mm -hmm. So fat is where it's at, as they say. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, finally, if you want to increase your intake of, of fibrous, you know, in other words, low starch vegetables and greens, um, add maybe some green drinks that are unsweetened or sweetened maybe with just a little bit of stevia. Um, again, you're adding to the antioxidant potential. Um, you're improving your sort of can the, the so-called cancer-thwarting phytonutrient uh, intake, um, and it adds bulk, you know, uh, to your diet. So some people, if they just you know, like in French, you go to a French restaurant and there's just like a little frou-frou in the middle of your plate and that's supposed to be your entree. And you know, a lot of people get, um, you know, they, they want volume. Well, if you want volume, you know, put it in, 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 in vegetables. Yeah. Raw, cooked, steamed, however you'd like it, uh, throw some extra butter on them or, or olive oil or whatever you like, ghee. Um, and you're not going to be hungry. Okay. And you're feeding yourself with a nutrient-dense diet but you're not provoking metabolic pathways that are going to make you more vulnerable to the things that are an onslaught right now from our environment from all sides. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, we still have the BP oil spill. And <laughs> remember that? Remember that crisis? Yeah. Um, there's so many things in our environment right now that are challenging us. Yeah. And if we just keep our heads about us and think in terms of foundations then you can save yourself a lot of money on supplements. Now, if you really want the supplements, you want some extras, you have the money and the, the means and the inclination, those inner foundations are in order. Um, there are some things, and again, I, you know, shortly after the show, I'm, I'm going to be posting a blog this afternoon um, that covers a lot of what we've talked about. And uh, so you can, you know, look up this list uh, there. But uh, one of the supplements out there that is this, what's, fairly what's little the site? known. What's the, what's the site? Oh, um, www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Okay. And the, the, if you go to the, and just click on the link that goes to um, uh, Don't Get Me Started, uh, You'll you'll find uh, the article. Uh, there's a supplement uh, that again is fairly little known, but was used extensively to help uh, the victims of Chernobyl, and it's called modifilin seaweed, M O D I F I L A N seaweed, and it's a highly highly concentrated. It takes several pounds of seaweed to just you know to get one capsule of this stuff a highly concentrated form of seaweed and it contains a lot of natural iodine and other natural components um, and so there are a number of online sources for modifilin and you might uh, look into that I don't I don't sell it myself so I'm not trying to sell supplements here but I'm just offering you some ideas um, you can eat iodine-rich seafood and vegetables, of course. Uh, kelp noodles, by the way, are one of my more recent finds, and oh. I'm so to totally turned on by those, and oh. I really hope that they don't make these in Japan because um, cause it's kind of wonderful. It's one of those things where you'd never miss pasta. 
Uh, it's just kelp noodles. It does. It tastes a little like glass noodles or cellophane noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can put pasta sauce on them or do whatever. Put them in soups or in salads. Uh, it can be consumed raw or slightly, you know, steamed or boiled or whatever. And they're really kind of wonderful. Yeah. Um, now, calcium. Uh, like ionic calcium or some other highly bioavailable form, or calcium-rich foods, let's put it that way, because I don't necessarily want to send people out to buy calcium supplements. And definitely do not want people running out and buying calcium carbonate, because calcium carbonate is virtually worthless, folks. You know, your tums and whatever. But calcium can help offset um, and, and help block the uptake of radioactive strontium. Um, and so... Um, so that's something to consider. Uh, Potassium-rich foods can help to thwart radioactive cesium uptake because your body will absorb cesium as though it were potassium. So if you're, if you have a good amount of potassium in your diet, of course, potassium-rich foods are, you know, are vegetables and greens and things like that, plant foods, um, then that can help potentially. Siberian ginseng, which is also known as erythro ginseng, mm-hmm. can, it has in some studies been shown to help reduce damage caused by radiation. It's also a great adrenal support. Mm. Um, so that's something else you can consider. Uh, broken cell wall chlorella, which may be a bit of a, a double-edged sword because I think most of the chlorella is actually produced in Japan, but you may still be able to buy buy it from places that have it stockpiled, um, you know, w- warehouses or whatever, where it's, it's been around for a while and you can buy up what they have left. Um, it, that's been used as far back as World War II to help, help flush radiation from the body. Um, turmeric, you know, or curcumin, uh, that's, you know, very powerful uh, as, as something to help reduce free radical activity and inflammation. Uh, astaxanthin, which is this new... Uh, related to, you know, sort of related to beta-carotene. It's a carotenoid pigment uh, found in uh, shellfish and that sort of thing. And it's a very potent singlet oxygen-free radical scavenger, and it's also anti-inflammatory. And it seems to me that astaxanthin would be a kind of a good, uh, kind of good all-around thing um, to be supplementing with if you have the means. Uh, anything that will enhance glutathione levels. And please do not run out and buy glutathione pills because it does not absorb through the gastrointestinal tract. They sell it in health food stores, but it's a waste of money. Um, So you either want to be taking glutathione precursors, which could be things like N-acetylcysteine or alpha-lipoic acid, vitamin D, by the way, uh, sulfur-rich foods, uh, S-adenosylmethionine is another, uh, you know, potential precursor for glutathione. Um, Radiation really literally decimates your body's supply of glutathione, so anything that supports glutathione production is going to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Now, there is um, one company, and I I do actually uh, sell this supplement to my clients, but it's a transdermal glutathione cream uh, made by a company called Apex Energetics. It's called OxyCell, or they're actually a more potent version called Super OxyCell that can actually... I believe it has some turmeric in it or something that can be a little staining. So the oxycell is the non-staining, but it's less potent. And that actually helps with glutathione absorb directly through the skin right into the bloodstream, which is very cool. Um, and uh, that is a really wonderful glutathione supplement. Um, 
and maybe you have a natural health care provider that, that has an account with them and can get you some. Uh, it's not something that is available in stores, however. Um, but at any rate, uh, anything that uh, is going to give you extra selenium, um, you know, Brazil nuts are a great source of selenium. Actually, the richest natural source of selenium. Grass-fed butter is an, a wonderful source of selenium. Um, you know, in order to make glutathione peroxidase, you have to have selenium. You also need vitamin E to make use of selenium. And with vitamin E, I, I caution people to find a glycerin-based vitamin E supplement. Don't do not buy vitamin E that is in soybean oil or canola oil, please, and almost all of it is. There are just a couple companies. Um, Carlson's, who makes some of their vitamin E products with uh, soybean oil and some of them with glycerin, uh, their glycerin-based product, which is the one I recommend, which you can buy in any store, is called E-Gems Elite. It's a mixed tocopherol, really rich in gamma tocopherols and tocotrienols and all these great things of vitamin E. That's a pretty good supplement. Um, uh, so, uh, for vitamin E anyway. And for people who feel like they've been exposed or radiation levels come up and people are really concerned, um, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest, of course, it rains a lot, so whatever's up in the atmosphere just sort of comes down right on our heads. Here, if you're in a drier place, you have, you know, maybe a little less concern. But um, but if, you know, uh, apparently bathing in a combination of baking soda and sea salt um, is one of those things that can supposedly be helpful to be able to neutralize um, uh, or safely bind with specifically uranium, um, but it's it's a known sort of treatment for radiation exposure, and uh, some people do this somewhat internally. Um, some people will bathe in it. That's one of those, you know, cheap ways of, of, of doing it. I'm not saying everybody should run out and do this, by the way, but just offering options for folks. Um, magnesium baths using either um, Epsom salt, which is the cheap way of doing it, or magnesium flakes, uh, can help at least support some of these hepatic, you know, liver detoxification pathways. Because mm. phase one mm. and phase two liver detoxification need mm. magnesium. And a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. Mm. Uh, there are some of these clays, uh, which are either calcium bentonite clay or uh, there's a company called Ancient Minerals uh, that has what they call a magnetic mineral clay bath that's specifically designed to absorb radioactive elements from the body. Again, some of this might be, um, might be more extreme than what we need to be considering right now. But just- you, know, you know, it's good to hear that, 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 that there is such a thing as uh, information, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you know, we, we'll all make our own choices, but but it's certainly good to become to be aware that uh, that these things exist. Yeah, and right. that there's and that there that there's some people who who can uh, uh, describe them to us or ex- explain them to us. It's uh, well, we need know. to know. We need to be aware of what's going on around us and i think people 
you know, really need to be taking charge of their health right mm-hmm. now. That doesn't mean to go out and spend a bloody fortune on supplements. I just listed a whole bunch of things, and I do not suggest, people, that you go running out and buy all this stuff, please. But just, you know, in, in, you know, keep your ear to the ground um, and, you know, pay attention to what's happening. Uh, there is a website called radiationnetwork.com that is apparently a fairly trustworthy source of, because it comes from a variety of, 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 um, of places, uh, on the environmental radiation levels in the United States, and it's updated in real time. So you can look at that. Um, the EPA, whatever you might think of the EPA, they have a website um, that is they call it EPA's RadNet monitoring monitoring data, and you might Google uh, Japanese EPA Japanese nuclear emergency radiation monitoring. <laughs> um, I, I have the website, but it's far too lengthy to be practical to give over the air. Um, but you know, you can look there, and, and it'll show you. Uh, readouts of what's coming in and what you ne- may need to know about whatever is in your particular area. Mm-hmm. And again, that's just another piece of information. It may not be the definitive source, but it's just another thing to take into consideration. Um, uh, I'll have a couple links on my uh, on my blog. Not too many, but a couple of links. The other thing to maybe take into consideration here is that there are certain foods that are known to concentrate radioactive elements uh, a little bit more. And probably the number one food to just be a little bit mindful of is, is dairy, is milk. Um, now, if the radiation issue gets much worse, we really might want to limit or avoid uh, most milk products, which honestly may not be the worst idea anyway, just because so many more people are casein-sensitive than, than they realize. But... They already are showing uh, radioactive iodine-131. Uh, it, it, it's showing up in the milk from Washington State. It's been showing up in Massachusetts. It's showing up, you know, in other places on, you know, throughout the country. And it's probably not at levels that are, you know, going to be lethal to anybody that drinks it right now. But we need to take into consideration that that it's starting to show up. And so to be a little bit more mindful, um, I personally don't do the only milk product, quote-unquote, that I do anymore myself, not because of this, you know, long before this disaster, but is you know, like grass-fed ghee. Uh, I'm, I have case insensitivity, so right now I don't do uh, any milk really of any kind. And by the way, radioactive iodine levels tend to accumulate 10 times more in goat and sheep milk products than cow's milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something to consider, too. Don't think that, well, I just won't drink cow's milk. I'll go with goat and sheep milk because that's healthier. With respect to the radioactive iodine, um, it's, it's, you know, it's more likely to concentrate in, in those products than it is even cow milk products. Nor do you have a position in the, uh, in the raw milk uh, movement? Well, I think if you're going to do milk, at least prior to this whole thing, that there's no question that raw milk is a superior food. I, I really don't consider pasteurized milk and pasteurized milk products 
uh, for the most part, to be food. Uh, you know, they're so processed uh, and so devoid uh, of so much that gets gets destroyed by pasteurization that you probably couldn't even get a baby cow to drink the stuff right. that is sold in most grocery stores. Even and that if, includes even the organic varieties. Even I don't consider organic milk any better. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah. cu- even cultured milk. Well, you know, again, the, the, when you have something that's very highly processed and it's been pasteurized, uh, the pasteurized um, milk products don't um, feed cultures very well, and uh, they don't they don't thrive in those cultures. Uh, those cultures don't thrive in, in those products very well. I would say if you want yogurt and things like that, make your own. Get some raw milk, or actually, my whole thing lately is coconut milk uh, yogurt. I think it's like the best, it's better than the best cow milk yogurt out there, in, in, in my humble opinion. I, I just think it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I used to like to put a little dollop of heavy cream in my tea in the morning. You know, it's just kind of one of my little indulgences in life. And, of course, I'm not doing heavy cream anymore. But what I figured out was that I could take a combination of coconut milk and a little bit of unsweetened uh, almond milk and ooh-la-la-va-boom. You know, blend that together. You can add a a little dash of um, unsweetened or or alcohol-free, rather, uh, vanilla extract. And it's, it's amazing. It's just a wonderful... It, it, in fact, if you have a, one of these little frothers at home that you froth cream with or whatever, the coconut milk mixture I just mentioned froths up just beautifully, and um, it can be used in place of. Now, I don't know that I'd use it in place of heavy cream in, in soups and things because it does impart a, a little bit of a coconut flavor, but it's not actually that intrusive. Um, I actually find it's it's very pleasant, and it adds that wonderful richness that... Uh, some people who feel like they can't do dairy might find kind of pleasant. Yeah, you know what's so, fly, what's flying off the shelves of of the the uh, the high end grocery stores is uh, coconut water. Oh right. And I'm guessing it's pasteurized. Yeah, most of it probably is. And I'm but guessing, you know, here's the deal too: it's really high in sugars. Yeah. I mean, if you're just if you're consuming this all by itself. Um, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, eat the whole coconut if you want, but I'm, I actually don't drink coconut water, and I don't recommend coconut water, and I know it has some great properties, but anything that adds a bolus of sugar yeah. uh, to your system, in my mind, in this day and age, is just not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I am a fan of coconut oil and uh, of, you know, high-quality coconut milk and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, they eat the whole coconut by all means, eat, you know, eat the copra, eat the shredded coconut. Uh, you know, Bob's Red Mill has a, um, uh, um, has a coconut flake product that, you know, where the coconut comes in these, you know, bigger chunks. It's not like the shredded coconut where, you know, it's more like coconut dust usually, (laughs) Uh, but it's these wonderful big coconut flakes, and you can nosh on those like like potato chips. It's unsweetened, you know, and you can just sit and, and munch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, coconut water, yeah, that's it's all the rage right now. I would say actually, you know, if you're an investor, you're looking for something to invest in coconut. Mm-hmm. Anything right now is mm-hmm. there's such a demand for coconut products. It's like 
crazy out there. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm not pe- telling people what to do with their stock markets by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I'm not invested in it myself. But it seems to me that it's it's just a super hot item right now. It sure is. And, and justifiably so. Coconut is is a great food that's that's been vilified for too long and um, unsung, I think, is is a wonderful food substance for for too long. Right. Nora, as usual, uh, we're just getting warmed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I hope it didn't hit you um, like too much of a steamroller. No, um, ma'am. No, with ma'am. With all this, but... No, I love it. I, I think it's great. Uh, well... I, uh, I I wanted to chime in on on the whole radiation thing, even though I know yeah. there's a lot else we could be talking about, and we, we well, kind of went crazy about the we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk again. Well, I like to think so. I do too. I'd like to have you here on a regular basis because <laughs> uh, you know the world is changing so fast, and it is, and we're all nervous, and rightly so. And uh, we're all short of uh, good, reliable, authoritative information, and. Um, you know, uh, ah, we need all the help we can get. Yes, we all do. There's, there's no question about that. You know, we're all in this together, so we all just sort of need to support yeah. each other and and uh, try to think as positively as we can. You know, uh, expect the best and prepare for the worst, mm-hmm. and um, and just you know, just take foundational care of your health. That is the main thing. That and manage your stress whether it's massage, whether it's renting a Three Stooges movie, if you're into that kind of thing, Um, meditation, um, just taking timeouts, take a walk in the woods or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stress management is is huge right now. Um, That just has to be part of your foundational approach to health. And and there's one thing that's that's more foundational and more uh, important than than uh, taking care of our uh, taking care of our health as individuals yes. and, and that's fixing this world well no lie and we're all a part of that you know we all have a role to play in the way things are and the way things aren't and so rather than sitting around and having hope which you know the word hope bugs me a little bit because hope implies that we're waiting for something outside of ourselves to come in and take care of things mm-hmm. you know we are our own best hope in my mind and just having an attitude of understanding that you know we all have the potential to change um far more and affect far more in the world than than we can possibly imagine it is possible for one you know one person to to make a difference but collectively imagine the power we can have if we all agree rather than fighting amongst ourselves um uh, that we, you know, that we agree that we're in this together. Um, we've been played uh, in a divide and conquer kind of way for far too long, and you know, put all the politics aside and um, and uh, and just understand that you know we're all in this together, and we need to take a positive and proactive attitude and become involved in whatever ways that you know, make the most sense for us to get involved. Um, and I guess that's my, my soapbox rant about that. Yeah. 
Well, uh, we greatly appreciate you talking to us, and uh, we want to have you back uh, on a regular oh, basis. Well, I, I would love it. Okay, um, good. Ken, I, good. It's, it's always really a pleasure uh, talking with you and being on your show, and you've, you're just such a gracious uh, host, and you've got a yeah. great audience. Uh, we do indeed. Uh, we have a terrific audience, and uh, and you bring us uh, you bring you bring you bring us so much. So uh, um, you're on you're on the A list. Ah, oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very flattered. Thank okay. you so much. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great, Ken. Take good care. You too. Bye-bye. Nora Gedgaudis, Portland, Oregon, the author of Primal Body, Primal Mind. Uh, gee whiz. You know, I, I, had, uh, I have 20 questions written down here. I didn't get to any of them. I do want to have Nora uh, here on a regular basis. I hope you enjoy uh, listening to her. And it's good to listen to her with a pad and a pen uh, to take notes because there's a lot of information flying uh, through the communication, and uh, I know I'm looking forward to listening to her, uh, to listening to these tapes uh, again, to, um, you know, you, if you learn one thing, if you pick up one little tip, uh, it could make a tremendous difference in any of our lives. So uh, we are a big fan of Nora Gedgaudis, G-E-D-G-A-U-D-A-S, Nora Gedgaudis, and it's good news that, that a, a strong publisher is picking up the book and it should be out in a couple of months, and uh, it's a great read. It's a, it's a life changer, and uh, it cuts through an awful lot of fog and uh, an awful lot of uh, BS, an awful lot of marketing BS, which, of course, is uh, killing all of us. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, KOWS 107.3 FM, Occidental California. The What Now Show, Mondays, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. We'll be back in a few minutes.